that we could with great grace open our arms to people who have been wounded by the church and not shame them for using that word deconstructing or be afraid of the word. Deconstructing is not sin. Deconstructing is not going to send us to hell. What it will do is it will open up the dark night of our soul and it will make us be honest. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, welcome once again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. My name's Hector, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hey, hey. Hey, Sarah. And uh, today we have our, our guest, um, Natalie Runyon. Hey, Natalie. Hello, guys. Thanks for having hey. me. Oh, absolutely. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, so... Uh, First, you know, with Pocket Pulpit, we just, we are, sorry, I was going to run that back to do the tag, and then I did it. Um, Pocket Pulpit is uh, just an exploration in social media ministry. We've loved the conversations we've had this year, uh, just around how are people using social media uh, for ministry uh, in the church and uh, just online in spaces where Often, and especially in the last couple of years, as we know, I think we're we're sort we're tired of of that tag, but we all know that it's true that we we've seen online ministry grow because of of the pandemic and the global impact that it had with online spaces. But we love the conversations we have, and so today we're excited to to have a conversation here with Natalie. Um, Natalie. Um, Tell us where, where are, actually, sorry, Sarah, I took that from you. You just take it away. Good gravy. All right. Natalie is a women's and worship pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and she's a founder of a ministry called Raised to Stay. So Natalie, starting off, we want to know, like, who are you? Who are your people? Like, what's your world? Those sort of things. Who's Natalie? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I love connecting. I think one of the things that is great about social media is it is kind of like this extended church if we use it right. (laughs) Um, And so it's just been a lot of fun getting to connect with everyone. You know, I am a 42-year-old pastor's daughter um, who basically tried everything in my power not to go into full-time ministry after being raised in the church, tried real hard. Um, but you can run and you can't hide from God. So I am now in full-time ministry. I have a husband. We're, we're going to be married at 15 years in June named Tony and two daughters who are nine and 13. So now I'm raising pastor's kids as much as I tried not to be. Um, and we live in Colorado Springs. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, grew up there my whole life. Oh. And then literally like four or five years ago, the Lord pulled us out of everything we knew and brought us to New Life. I started out in worship uh, with New Life Worship, was that exclusively for about two years, and now lead the women's ministry, and I am a creative pastor for our kids' ministry as well, um, and do a little bit of everything, and so it has been interesting to watch how God has changed um, my trajectory of ministry over the last 20 years, um, and Raise the Stay is a ministry for those of us who have um, been in the church for a while, maybe have been hurt by the church, have gone through some difficult seasons, and are in leadership now and kind of wondering, how do we do this well? How do we love God, love people, fulfill the Great Commission um, in a world right now that is actually a little bit hostile towards the church and uh, towards evangelicals as a whole? So that's where I find myself in this tension of 
every day wanting to quit a little bit. And for some reason, I'm still here. So, and we know that reason is Jesus, but you know, some days I, I wonder. <laughs> uh, Natalie, what, what platforms are you on online? You know, I started out um, in 2019. That's when I, I got raised to stay. I was ready to be done. I had was 40 years old. I'm like, I'm good. I've seen everything I need to see and I'm out. And the Lord and his goodness to me, while I was walking the dog one day, just gave me this vision for a raise to stay. And I didn't know what it would look like. I just knew that if I was feeling these things, if I wanted to be done and I love the church and I love people, but I was like, I'm out then other people probably were feeling the same thing. So I wrote a single black box. And if you follow me on Raised to Stay, you know that my entire wall for the most part are these black boxes with just a really harsh phrase <laughs> or a reality. And I wrote my first black box and it said, the church did not hurt you, a few wounded people did. And I put it on Instagram and kind of closed my eyes and ran because I didn't know what the response was going to be. So Instagram was my very first like intro into Raise to Stay. And then as that grew, people were like, wait a minute, this is how I feel. Get out of my head. So then I started a Facebook private group where people could come and actually have really honest dialogue in the privacy of a group. And so we have an Instagram and Facebook group. The Facebook group is private. Um, for people's safety. We have about, I don't know, about 1,800 people over there. And then I have a public Facebook group, which is more of like an author page where people can share the black boxes. So it's mostly on Instagram and Facebook. And then I have a little Twitter account that I just run for people who like Twitter, which I think are basically people in their 50s and 60s. I don't really know who's on Twitter. <laughs> so um, Instagram and Facebook are like your preferred platforms. Yeah, yeah. I think too, you know, I don't know how old you guys are. Um, I'm 43. So I think my generation's unique with the social media because I was 18. I went to college and there was no social media. Like I went to a public university and Mark Zuckerberg was literally in the Ivy League world at that time, creating this Facebook for the Ivy League culture. And I was part of Miami of Ohio, which was a very... Um, public university, but also kind of had Ivy League tendencies. And so we were very much like in the intro of social media at in the 1999, 2000, 2001. And so we didn't have it. And then all of a sudden I'm 27 and like everyone is part of social media. And I kind of bulked at it a little bit because I'm like, I don't know how this is supposed to help me. I want to get away from high school. I don't want to stay with, stay with these people that were horrible to me. I want to get out, but yet it's almost like I needed it um, because I knew that it was going to help launch something later. And so I find myself in this weird tension of not wanting to be on it, but knowing that it's actually a huge um, influence in sharing the gospel to a generation who may or may not even step foot into the church doors. So I, I'm definitely on the cusp of like, I love it. I have a love hate relationship with it. Um, and Facebook and Instagram seem for me to be where I communicate the best. Um, and I think it's probably because most of my peers are on those two platforms. I am on TikTok. Um, I'm embarrassed by TikTok because I'm 
I love to act and I love to have fun, but I also feel like sometimes I'm like the old mom in the cool dance club, like trying to be funny and like, and cute. And so I, I want to expand that platform. So you could go over there. Just don't laugh at me. Well, that's all the same for me, Natalie. Like we're, we're basically the same age. And so like, I remember getting my space, like when I graduated and had my first job. And then I got on Facebook when I was, um, I remember being like, why would I want to be on that? And, that? and, um, but I got it. I think when I had my first kid, because I was nursing him and it was like, well, I've got to have something to do, you yeah. know, something to occupy my time while I'm sitting in the glider. Yeah. 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 And you know, I don't, I write some pretty hard stuff. I mean, I feel like I am pretty honest and I don't get hit with a lot of like, um, angry people. I think Mm. that we have at least created a culture in the raise to stay family where people are there because they want to be there. I'm not inviting people in who are fully deconstructing. I mean, they're welcome to be there, but the content is really a hopeful content. And so I, I think I've learned how to say things in a way that invites people in, but also it's like, look, I'm here. This is who I am. Join me if you want, but no pressure. And I'm good with whatever you believe and what you want to share as well. Um, but I'm not going to be combative. So I, I think there is a way for social media and the global space to be invitational and also non-combative, um, which is what I try to do in, in my space of it, you know? Yeah. I, I want to pick at that word deconstruction for a minute, you know, yeah. like, you're like, gosh, thanks, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but I mean, so like the word deconstruction, people are all over the spectrum on it. And like some people are entirely opposed to it. And some people are, um, some people are really angry about their church hurts and they're like, I am deconstructing and I am deconstructing it to the ground. I'm like taking it all apart. There's nothing left. And then there's some who are like trying to evaluate what has been constructed in their church history, in their own church story and see what needs to be addressed. And I think that, and so there's like a broad definition of what people would call deconstruction. But I think that part of the reason that like church leaders tend to, um, or many church leaders, because not all church leaders are like, I'm opposed to the concept of deconstruction. But I think the ones who are, it's, it's not that they aren't experiencing that same evaluation process and that same growth. I think that they're just scared to say, I'm questioning the system I'm in. And so they might double down. I think that that probably, there probably would be people, I would imagine, in your group who'd be like, oh yes, I am deconstructing. And then there are probably some that are doing the exact same thing as the people who would label it. They just wouldn't label it that way. And so there definitely are there definitely are leaders who are deconstructing and it's a difficult and sensitive place to be. And it's a difficult and sensitive place to say, like, I have questions. How do you, as a church leader say, I have questions with the system that I'm a part of and you worry that the people will hear you and then they will lose faith in you. And so you, you mask up and you say, Nope, this is, this is what it is. It's good. It's, I don't ever have any, you put on the hard face, you know, and go forward. Is that, does that sound like what you see as well? And so when you hear deconstruction, what do you think about? You know, I think every generation from the traditionalists down to our Gen Z and all that, we all have deconstructed at some point. We just, like you said, wouldn't call it 
deconstructing. I think it's an unraveling. Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of us that we would say, yeah, I haven't like burned it to the ground, but I have definitely wandered, wondered and wrestled with my faith, with my uh, belief in the church, maybe even Jesus. And that's what was kind of intriguing to me was that I, when I was really wanting to quit, it wasn't that I was wanting to quit Jesus. I was wanting to unravel and detangle from some of those religious beliefs that had made me have this really gross view of God and grace and salvation, because I was raised in a very traditional environment with the whole true love weight and modesty is the hottest or whatever. And so I think that we all need to give each other permission to ask the hard questions without going to this other giant extreme where we just try to like blow the whole thing up and walk away completely. Now, I don't blame some people for walking away completely based off some of the stories that people tell me in the Raised to Stay community. When sexual abuse is involved, when there are things that are traumatic and absolutely sinful coming from the pulpit. I do not blame some people from walking away and blowing it up because honestly, what happened to them was horrendous. And so we have to give people permission to be honest about what happened to them and then not shame them for having this complete radical moment where they have to just walk away and try to figure things out on their own. So ways to stay, I hope, has become a place where I don't gaslight people and say, oh no, you're fine. That didn't really happen. Like just charge on and move forward. That's where abuse is really dangerous is to tell people, no, you imagined that. What I hope to do is say, no, it happened, but the healer is alive and well. So rather than just go away and hope that somebody is gonna help you, let's have the hard conversation. Let's confront abuse. Let's talk about detangling, deconstructing, and do it in a way that honors God and loves people. But I hope to goodness that if we have learned anything through the Me Too movement, Church Too movement, that we could with great grace open our arms to people who have been wounded by the church and not shame them for using that word deconstructing or be afraid of the word. Deconstructing is not sin. Deconstructing is not going to send us to hell. What it will do is it will open up the dark night of our soul and it will make us be honest. And then we as believers, just like the prodigal, we don't have to like ask the prodigal for a speech of why they should come home or what happened to them. We just need to be good listeners and, and listen to why. And then let God do the putting back together, right? I'm all for deconstructing if we have the systems around us to reconstruct a godly and biblical view of who Jesus is. I'm all for it. But a lot of people don't have those systems in place. And so when they deconstruct, there's no one there to help them put those pieces back together. Yeah, I think about, um, so I'm really bad at constructing, like I'm not the one to build stuff. And so I've gotten to where I can effectively, if you go to, you know, the cube bookshelves that are just like, okay, so I've gotten to where I can assemble those semi-reliably. Semi However, it is not like there, um, it is not beyond the realm of possibility that even now when I know how these things work, that I will put a thing in backwards and have to go back a few steps and fix it. And, and so like, when I think about deconstructing, like there are times that I have, I look at what I've done and I've gone like, this isn't exactly how I meant this to turn out. <laughs> so you, 
you go back a few steps and you you turn the piece around and you you move forward again and like it's it's absolutely okay to to look at and say did I do this right and I think about um I wrote a blog this has been like a year ago but it was about you know people in ministry will say you know if you put your hand to the plow and you look back then you shouldn't do like and when you go into ministry you put your hand to the plow and you go forward forever but that like is not how farming works you know you go across the field and then you turn around and come back and then you stop and you turn like there's this you go and what you've done guides where you go and also like people will talk about putting your hand to the plow as if god is there as this horrible taskmaster just like if you stop if you stop you weren't worth it and you shouldn't have started it in the first place like how dare you but we work for a like a good god we serve a kind god who who is not going to deny us the water we need and the food we need and the things we need to keep going and the rest we need. Like he's not a cruel taskmaster. And so I, I think, you know, the, the drive and the expectation that we put on ourselves as leaders, um, man, like the, the blessing that a safe place to say, like, I have, I have driven this plow so far and I am exhausted. Absolutely. I'm really tired. And I need to be able to turn and evaluate. I don't know where I'm going next. Like yeah. to have that safe space is a blessing. It, it is. And, and how many of us have that? I mean, how, if you think about growing up, it was just do it, the Nike logo and nothing but net and, you know, don't quit. And so, you know, it was all of this, like we grew up in a generation that was all about going to college and, you know, you had to check these boxes and and I don't think that religion was any different for a lot of us in the 90s. There were so many systematic things in place that now as adults, we're leading ministries and we can't help but kind of put that same pressure on ourselves to be the one that's the last man standing and I'm going down with the house. And if the ship goes down, I go down too. And it's just, that's not how God has outlined his gospel. There has been so many times in my life where if I would have just taken a break, I probably wouldn't have found myself exhausted and making the decisions I was making, but I felt like I had to prove to everyone that I was worthy of my role or my position or the assignment. And this whole time, God is like, who, who put that on you? I didn't put that on you. And I love your farming analogy because you're right. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but that is not meant for us to like double down on working 80 hours a week and creating chaos in our homes and making our own soul suffer because we look around and we don't have enough workers. Like if anything, it just take care of the land that God has placed before you. And if that means looking back to be grateful for the faithfulness in his life, look, sometimes stopping and looking back isn't because you're quitting. It's because you just need a moment to say, great is thy faithfulness. Yeah. Right. Look where you brought me from. I was there, but now I'm here. Let me take a year and just be grateful that I'm still here. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, and I think too, like, you know, thinking about those words from Jesus of like, pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Yes. Like this is still God's work. Like the yes. paradigm, you know, is still God's work of like, it's not for us to like, cause, cause I think, you know, a lot of it is a discipleship issue. It's a evangelism, you know, question and and so but it is this thing of like but jesus says like 
pray that God would raise up the people because if we truly believe what's happening, it's that God's stirring hearts out there, that the, the harvest is ripe. It's not that you have to go and, and do the work to like make it happen. Like it's there. You just have to, to see that like it's, it's there and trust that God wants to, to reap the harvest and that he's going to raise up the workers to do it. And so it just changes the way that we work as well. Yeah, it changes the way that we approach all uh, ministry and, and, and life with Jesus. I, it was funny because I think about the feeding of the 5,000, you know, and I love Jesus because he's kind of sarcastic and, and the way he deals with his disciples, like it's very like kind of tongue in cheek. And he looks at Philip and he's like, hey, Philip, like, look at all these people. How much food do you think that it would actually take to feed them all? And Philip goes into what I think we all do. He's like, well... And he starts like actually calculating like, well, I've got this guy that owns a bread cave down in so-and-so and I could probably pull from some of these. We go into like network marketing mode where we're like, okay, well, I'm going to solve this problem on my own. And Jesus knew that Philip had no clue how much food it was going to take because what he wanted was partnership, not independence. He didn't want Philip to go get the bread. He wanted Philip to believe that God could supply every need in that moment. And he does without using man's techniques. And I think we go into Philip mode so easy when we see the harvest and we think, well, if I just show up 80 hours a week, I could save all of these people and the crop. And you're right. No, it's God is calling all of us into a partnership, not into saving the world. And I think we think that we can save the world. And when we don't, we quit on it. <laughs> and when you, so when you said the, the, um, harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. I was like, oh, I've got to pull that up and look. And it, and, and then Hector said the rest of it. And it's like, it's not, Jesus wasn't like the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So suck it up harvesters and yeah. double, yeah. double put in the work, put it in, show up and do what I tell you to do all night long. We are harvesting all. He said, he said, I have provided the harvest and I will also provide the workers. Just ask me for them. Yes. Mm. Ask. We don't ask enough. Like you think about that story in the Bible where, you know, the neighbor is running over to the other house and banging down the door because they need bread for their family. And Jesus is like, you know, the reason that the guy answered the door wasn't because they were friends, but because of his persistency. And I think that we as believers have stopped knocking on the door of heaven, have stopped knocking on the door of Jesus and saying, this is what the needs are. These are who the people are. God, send your harvest and send the workers. We're just not asking. And he tells us how many times in the word of God to ask him and he will supply every need. And I think we've stopped talking to God. I think we've stopped making our petitions known because we've just learned how to do it on our own, but we're not doing it well. We're not doing it. That's why people are leaving the church and leaving ministry in droves is because we've tried to do the harvest based off of a celebrity platform and not off of the strength of an almighty God who got, you know, Paul back in the boat, how many times so he could finish his ministry, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. <clears throat> well, and, and, you know, a big part of this conversation is that there, there is kind of, you know, we talked about the church taking its cues from the world and, and inevitably like as leaders raising a generation of, you know, here's what the world was saying. And now we've, applied it to church leadership there's even the side of well now the world is seemingly offering what the church has offered on the menu and hasn't delivered right 
And so you have places where fellowship, community, um, you know, a place to be heard are, are starting to crop up because they can't be found in the church. And that's part of the larger conversation around deconstruction is, is as we've already said, that like there are no places to be heard. Many times there are no places to be heard. And so you've got places like I sent Sarah uh, a TikTok or an Instagram video a, a few weeks ago of this men's retreat that was like, you know, we want to awaken the, the warrior heart in you that like, but not just like this, like macho man, this like, you need to feel emotion. You need to feel the weight of life. You need to feel that you're alive and you need to feel that you have within you what it is to take on life. You need to, to, to see and understand that you have men around you who also are awakening that in themselves and learning breathing techniques and to ground themselves into the reality of what's around them. And you're going, man, didn't, don't we offer that at the church community and understanding and being connected to the creator who sees and knows all and is with us? Like, isn't that what we've offered? Like, but here it is where men are, are running to this program, you know, in the middle of, I don't even know where California or the wilderness, but just like learning who they are, um, striving to not just this macho man, like, oh, I want to be in the wilderness, but this, like, I want to be like aware of who I am and alive. I want to feel alive and I want to, to gain skill and emotional, uh, be emotionally attuned to where I am. And it's like, man, the world is offering this. And, and if, if people are seeing results and if, if people are seeing that like, oh, here are these men of all different, you know, they look different. They're not the same kind of person. Like maybe I can find that there because the world is seemingly successfully offering and, and, and coming through with the, the offer there, you know, that, that what they offer is actually what they deliver. Um, so it seems. And so I think that's part of the conversation as well, that, you know, why would a person who, as you were saying, Natalie, like, why would a person who is angry at the church because of abuse go, oh, but, but if I just find the right church, then maybe it won't happen again. And just why would they white knuckle it into, I'll just find the right church at some point instead of here's this community outside of the church that actually doesn't want to talk to me about Jesus. Cause right now, like Jesus church community inside of that whole system, just like it's traumatic. It brings back, you know, emotions that I'm not ready to necessarily set aside, right. Be forced to set aside, be forced to, to not deal with, to, to not acknowledge and assess. Right. Mm -hmm. um, why would somebody want to, to go back to that? And so I, I think the question though, that we have to, to ask, and, and I, I'm curious on your thoughts is why is the church still the better option? You know, why is Jesus still this thing that, that not only offers like a, a, the, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's built, why is that still the better option? It's an amazing question. And it's one that I was asking when I asked the Lord, why do I stay? Like, what, what is it about you? What is it about the church that would want me to keep setting myself up for potential pain um, or disappointment? And I don't know that I have an exact answer, except that it is Jesus at the core. It is Jesus at the center. It is Jesus. And 
eternal life and grace upon grace. But if you haven't been raised in a grace-based Jesus, if you have been, if you've been raised in a Jesus who's got a big, you know, gavel up in heaven, who's ready to take us down at our first failure, then that's not a good answer, you know? And so I think I wrestle with that every day in the raised to stay community is how do I introduce a Jesus to people who they've never met? They haven't met that Jesus. And, and in defense, like, listen, the world, I'd say the world is doing a really good job of offering things the church can't. I wouldn't even say seemingly. I would say I get online sometimes and see some Instagram accounts. And I think, yeah, like that actually is exactly how I feel. And nobody ever wants to hear that from me. And I feel like I'm pretty gracious towards the church. So if I'm feeling that way, if I'm feeling like the world is giving us a pretty good counterfeit, I mean, it looks pretty real, right? Like it, there's no phoniness to it then the people who are on the cusp of deconstructing, I don't blame them for going and listening to some of those podcasts and following those accounts because someone's validating their pain. And I just wonder if the church isn't good at wrestling. I wonder if we haven't learned yet how to sit with people in pain and be in pain and also sorrowful for the things that we have caused. And I think that there is a repentance. I think the Lord is calling the church into a place of repentance to say, yes, we have hurt people. Yes, we have been um, hypocritical. Yes, we have um, abused people. I think once the church repents and truly begins to see what God can and do through his Holy Spirit, not through people, not through celebrities, not through you know fancy slogans, but through true love of God and love of people, I think people will start to come back, but they can identify phoniness. The world is not tricked by sleek church marketing. You can name your youth group a hundred things. You can offer as many programs, but until our heart is for people and knows how to truly love people, they're not going to buy what we're selling. And I think that my opinion is that the church needs to get back to the two main things, love God, love people. And then the third is go and make disciples. But until we can truly love from a place of humility and saying, you're right, we haven't gotten it right. Um, I think it's going to, we have an uphill battle ahead of us. So to answer your question, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, I think for all of us, it's individual. Um, but I believe that if we met the real Jesus, that that would be, become the, the first step. And the only way people are going to meet Jesus is through an authentic church. Yeah, I think the, um, the, it might not be that men's ministry is any more valid or um, valuable than what Hector described, but Jesus is, Mm -hmm. you know, and so maybe we should stop marketing men's ministry and start marketing. I mean, not Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in programming, let's be real. Like I'm a women's pastor. Do you know what the, do you know what the uh, reputation of women's ministry is? I mean, it's awful because we've created country clubs within an organization that should have been inclusive and it's been divisive. And we have created women who are, um, aren't inclusive and who do have strong opinions about everything from LGBTQ to racial tensions. And they don't wanna talk about it. They just kind of wanna hope that everybody just agrees with them. And so we're not having the hard and holy conversations like probably these men are having up in the wilderness where they're drinking beer around a fire and having heart to heart conversations about why their manhood feels like it's at risk and why their marriages are falling apart. And so until the church is comfortable sitting in the tension of what the world is offering, like we do have an uphill climb up in front of us. And for me, women's ministry is everything opposite. 
of that country club. I am prayerfully through the power of the Holy Spirit inviting women into a space where they are collaborative, where they have community, where they have hard conversation. And not everyone likes it because they want their comfortable crafts and, you know, a, a sweet little retreat where they're getting flowers and, you know, talking about how wonderful their families are. But right now the truth is women are hurting and I want to create a space where hurting women feel like they can come and be honest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And to that, to that credit, uh, talking about the validity of, of outside communities, isn't it a gracious God that would allow that to, to happen in, in the sense that like, if, well, if it's not going to happen among my people, if it's not, especially for his, his people, for his children, like it's not going to happen inside this community that's supposed to offer it, like the grace that is offered, the mercy that's offered it, like, I'm going to give you an opportunity, right? Like to, to step back from the like specifics of those communities, but to, to then kind of come, come up to the umbrella of like the Lord's offering sometimes grace for people to find communities outside of where there is no opportunity. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, because God, his, his entire heart is for redemption and reconciliation, and he will get his family back one way or another. Like, and I don't think that it's like the church against the world. I think that it's like this beautiful thing, like you're saying, where God is willing to reconcile himself to his people. I think, however, it, it could be done possibly without being sort of like heresy or, you know, demonic things. But I, I do feel like we can see God in so many ways. And we're raising our children right now to find God in every conversation, to find Jesus in every opportunity. They go to public school. Like we're, we're really saying like, look for Jesus everywhere you go and look to be Jesus everywhere you go. So whether it's at the gym or in school or at a retreat, that's, you know, not even a Christian thing, just be Jesus and, and find him there. And people are desperate for hope. And I think if we can give that, I don't care where it comes from. Just give me hope, <laughs> you know? Well, so a few years ago, I got feedback that I'm always looking for the next thing. And it's kind of like how I'm wired. I um, do. <laughs> well, well, good. I was hoping when I, when I ask you this, like you could maybe relate a little. Yeah. Um, so like, it's, it's not even like, there, and there's definitely seasons where I think it more, I'll be in tough conversations and I'll think, you know, I don't know that I have to deal with this. Like I could just quit. I could go be like independently wealthy and quarantine in my room for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, <laughs> at this point, I'm not independently wealthy, but you know that when I think about what is my other option, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what I'd like to do? Yes. Independently wealthy. That's <laughs> what I'd like to do. But you know, there, uh, last week, I remember being in a hard conversation and that thought just went, woo, and went like straight into my head. It was like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be here. And, um, and then I remember in that moment, just being like, no, like stay in this, like go, this is, this is important. But going through these hard conversations is important. And this is going to develop you. And it sucks in this moment, but this is part of the refining. And so like, I, I don't always have that good in the moment thought, but like, so like staying is hard and it's not just you're like, yeah, you're raised to stay and you're raised to staying, like to do it actively. Um, and so like you had that first moment where, you know, you, where God just said you were raised to stay. Um, but I, I'm assuming that the temptation didn't just like, you were like, yes, that is facts. And now I never have the temptation to like, right. again. 
So like, as you encourage others to stay and as you carry like these burdens alongside people, how do you handle those moments in your life, in yourself that would tempt you, tempt you to just be like, I'm out? Yeah. Well, the one thing that I had to qualify with the Lord is what does that word stay mean? Like I, because staying, we don't want to stay in abusive situations. We don't want to stay in dead ends. We don't want, you know, like there's a, there's a responsibility to unpack that word biblically. If I'm going to have a ministry called raised to stay. Um, and so the Lord gave me John 15 with that, with the whole idea of abiding in Christ that we are, you know, the vines and the branches and abiding and sometimes abiding means leaving. And I think that we have to be able to be honest as the church and say, look, when somebody leaves my church, that doesn't mean they're quitting. It could be that they're going. It could be that when we have to leave something that it's because we're going into something different. And sometimes we have to quit to rest. We have to walk away to rest. And so that word abide, if raised to abide would sell, I'd probably change it to that. Raised to stay is a little bit more catchy, but we're raised to abide in Christ. When God created us, it was to be in relationship with him and to cover the earth and to go and make disciples. And so when I think about staying, I think about I am raised to be connected to the vine. I am raised to be in relationship with a good father who has good gifts for me and has called me into something bigger than myself. And so when I say stay, I'm saying stay in Christ, abide in Christ. That might mean that you have to leave something. That might mean that you have to go into a different season, but you'll always have that relationship with God that is giving you that word and that lamp into our feet and light into our path. And I think when I counsel people, I'm saying, I'm not telling you to stay in something that you're uncomfortable with. I'm not telling you to stay in something that breaks your heart. I am asking you to really ask the Lord, is it time for me to go? And sometimes that can take a year to get that answer. I have begged the Lord to release me from ministries years before he actually did. And it was hard, but you're right. It taught me so much as I waited on his release. And I think this generation, because we are so used to just quit Uber and, you know, uh, whatever we can do, uh, Uber Eats and all of the things, we can just kind of snap our fingers and get what we want. And in the kingdom of God, it just doesn't work that way. There is a process with the Lord where we're abiding, even though everything in us is wanting to get the heck out of where are. So I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I get wanting to know that go to the next thing. And the Lord has really had to work in my heart on that to not run just because I'm uncomfortable. Um, or if a familiar thing, I don't know if this resonates with you guys, but like, if I see a familiar characteristic in someone that scared me before or hurt me before my first instinct is to be like danger and like get out. Um, and in the last five years where I am at new life, the Lord has really taught me that he will fight for me. But a lot of times I do have to stay long enough to let him, um, move. And some, and most of the time in my youth, I ran before he could intervene. So, yeah, I, um, well, you know, you don't know this, Natalie, but the word abide has a very special place in my, in my heart. Okay. Um, it's, the title uh, <laughs> now so, available on Amazon. I love that. <laughs> but you know, the when I was uh like when I think of abiding, like and it's like we're part of the vine, you know. And it says, I uh I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And so like when we when we hear I am the vine, like 
most people are like, and you are the branches. Like that's what they think. But you know, he's also said, I'm the, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. And so like, there are times I'm not the world's best gardener, just like I'm not the world's best farmer. Uh, but I, I know enough to, to come up with an analogy, you know, and like, there is, there are times that, that you're like, I've got a rose bush my mom gave me out back. Um, and it is trying to attack part of my house. And so I keep having to go back out and like tuck it back into itself and try to train it to stay. And it's, and it's a, a tending that I've got to do in a continual, like, we're not going to, we're not going to grow inside of my house. We are not going to grow inside of my, we're going to grow this direction. Um, and it might, um, it might, the Lord might send you in a different direction than what you are not, what you feel like you are going towards and, um, just allowing God to tend to you, to set you where he wants you. It does. You're right. It takes time. I'm not going to convince that rose bush to stop growing in my, I have two options. I can tend to it and I can caringly like tuck it and maybe stake it and tie it and, and encourage it to continue growing in the direction I want it to grow, or I can cut it off. Those are the two ways to keep it from going into my house. If the, Lord, the Lord doesn't want to cut us off. No, and what a beautiful, beautiful analogy, because I'll be honest, I think in ministry, and this isn't for like a common, just like church person, but I think in ministry, we attach our identity so much to our relationship with God. And part of my pruning, part of me kind of coming up with ways to stay was in a season where I, my identity was worship leader. I am a worship leader. And God in his kindness, like you're talking about, was trying to prune me into a different direction where he was saying, yes, you can grow there, but you can thrive over here. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to, I'm not taking something from you. I'm just trying to redirect you. And I had a temper tantrum because I'm like, no, I'm a worship leader. It's what I do. And God's like, okay, great. But if you hold on to that, you're going to die on the vine because that's not what I have for you. I have something over here for you that you're just kind of not wanting because you're afraid of it. And I think we run out of fear. I think anger is our primary emotion that we show. Like I'm mad at the church. The church took this from me. Somebody took something from me, but really it's, it's pain and it's hurt and we're confused and God is trying to redirect us and we're kind of fighting the process, but abiding is letting him gently take us and kind of redirect us. No, you're going to die on the vine if you go in the house, <laughs> but if you will go towards the sunlight, I have this beautiful other place for you where you can stretch and grow and, and continue to move. And that's what has happened in my life is me giving him that worship leader title and saying it's something that I do, but it's not who I am has really allowed me to thrive, even though it's caused me to have to leave and go and cleave in different ways than what maybe I thought. Um, so abiding for me has been really hard in the last five years. It has cost me everything about myself that I thought I knew. And it was enough to make me want to run. And God in his grace said, no, actually, <laughs> I, I'm going to have you start a ministry that's going to tell people about this. Um, and it's not worship. So are you okay with that? And after I threw myself on the floor and screamed and cried, I said, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the church structure, like, so all three of us are church staff, you know, we all love the church. Mm -hmm. um, and we, but the things like we've talked about today, like, are we selling ministries? Are we selling events? Are we selling 
activities or are we um, giving people the gospel, you know? And so like all the, all the trouble that the church has right now, the, you know, all the trouble the church has right now, we all know all the trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, Like is the structure, do you think that the structure that we have right now, um, at least in our context is um, fixable? Like, or is it even meant to be? Is it our, it, like, is it our job to interact with the church like a campground and leave it better than we found it? Um, that, that question makes me want to cry. Because it goes back to even like your field, your field analogy, like God is bringing us the workers, right? Like we're not, we we can't save anything even though i know our hearts are to do that you know um like i like i'm like that gets me um i don't know yeah that's i think about a i have a friend um who was uh at a church that really wronged him and really wronged his family and um they moved and uh left left the church he was a pastor um and he's currently not a pastor and it's one of those moments uh in a person's life where they say am i going to return to ministry or am i not and um the this person is i mean my heart hurts for him not to be a pastor not, I mean, for the loss that the church as a structure, as a, as a, you know, um, it's a loss to the church to not have him shepherding people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, I know that wherever he is, he is going to be actively, he will be employed by Christ, whether or not he is employed by the church. Amen. And, um, the church the capital c church the body of all believers who call jesus lord like he will i think forever be a pastor forever be a shepherd and so i think about like when i look at the structures that are being evaluated in our culture um the church in our culture like are we able to this is just the thing I think about when I'm driving around, you know, like, are we able to like, what is, what is refinable and what is going to get burned off? And, and are we supposed to refine it? Or are we supposed to say like, like it would be, it would, it would be the joy of my life to, to put that guy in a pastoral role, but is it the joy of the Lord for his plan for that guy? He is going to serve the church. So is my concern saving and, and putting together a structure that like, and putting him in a place in a certain structure, or is it to serve the body of all believers who call Jesus Lord? Hmm. And it's, it's interesting because part of the reason I didn't want to go into full-time ministry when I went to college, I was a kinesiology and education major. So I was a teacher for 10 years. And what, what I found so freeing was that ministry was wherever I went, that I could be selling 
high level telecom products to 60 year old men in suits smoking cigars and still have a conversation about Jesus or the gospel just as easily if I was sitting in a staff meeting, you know, trying to strategize how to create the best programming for X, Y, and Z. And there are that, that verse in Amos, and I can't think of the exact uh, scripture, but it talks about, I'm tired of your programming. I'm tired of all of your, you know, uh, slogans and all of your campaigns. And that's where I found myself when I was really fighting going into ministry is like, Lord, if, if you could use me anywhere, like use me in, in the world where I'm, a, I'm supposed to get hurt by the world, but I'm not supposed to get hurt by the church. And when you watch some Jesus music documentary, that's kind of like back what they're saying is all of these artists and, and things who are falling from grace and how horrible the church was to them, but the world was so quick to receive them. And that's what I'm more convinced that we should do better is just be the actual church that we're supposed to be, which is receiving people and their lowest points and encouraging people when they're in the middle of the hardest days of their lives. And that's what I think when I think about restructuring is not how do we have better programming? How do we do, you know, slogan this better and campaign this better, but how do we be the hands and feet of Jesus to people um, who were at their darkest moment. And, and I don't know that we, we know how to do that right now. You know, is it um, where it says, uh, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Yeah. Assemblies yeah. To me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings. I will have no regard for them away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never failing stream because what breaks god's heart the orphan the widow the least of these the one sheep who gets away not low attendance not low attendance not if your sound is the best not if your lighting is on point not if you have the best sleekest social media campaign are you feeding my sheep will people know you or know me because they know you not will they know you because you've got the best headshot and, and I think to answer your original question, I think that's where we've lost, where some of these church fallout are happening is that we have attached Jesus to people. And that was never supposed to be how it was supposed to go down. It was always love God, love people, go and make disciples. Yeah. And we can do that whether we have a huge auditorium or we're meeting in a tent in a field, Yeah. you know? And so I don't, I mean, I guess for me, when I watch pastors fall, and trust me, I'm a pastor's kid, so I get how horrible people can be. Um, my dad did one thing well um, that I always talk about. He did a lot of things well, but one thing that he did well was he would tell me, Natalie, I'll bag groceries at Walmart before I let the church hurt my family. Yeah. And he lived up to that. And my dad goes everywhere now. We went and got tattoos together because he survived. It was his 15th year of surviving a widowmaker heart attack. And he wanted this really special cross on his arm and he got it on his forearm and it's huge. And, you know, some Christians were like, oh, why do you have to get tattoos? And, you know, whatever. We just were like, we're getting tattoos. But everywhere my dad goes, he's not pastoring any longer. He's 65. And for the last month, that man has ministered more showing waitresses, doctors, that tattoo than he probably did pastoring a large church. <laughs> and that is the hope that I have is that every conversation that we as believers have will point people back to Jesus, whether it's over a tattoo, 
um, a story, an outfit we're wearing, a car, whatever it is, that we would remember that, yes, the church is a vital part of the kingdom. God loves his church. But if there is a season where you don't get to be in a church or you can't find a church, we can still be the church, whether we're in an active building or we are simply at a park with our kids playing, you know, and that's what the Lord's taught me a lot in the last several years. Well, you have a, before we ask our final two questions, Hector, do you have anything, anything on your heart? Uh, and I told Sarah before, I was like, I think I'm going to be a mess today. I think that this is going to be a hard conversation. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And probably because I processed yesterday, um, but it is a, a balm to my soul in hearing the, I think it always is. And I think this is part of the deconstruction conversation. It is the acknowledgement of hurt, the acknowledgement of pain, of, of deep wounds that you know, a deep wound takes time to heal, right? Like when we, when we do surgery, when we do like, like there is always like, hey, you can't lift anything for X amount of time. And you go, but I had the surgery months ago. Like I should be fine. Um, but the truth is, is that, that you know, even the, the reason that that comes to mind is like, I'm in a place where it's just like, man, I can do one task a day right now. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'm done. Like I am wiped. I, I need to go lay down. Um, which will probably happen after this recording. Uh, <laughs> but, no, uh, but no, thank you so you. much. I want to encourage you too. Like my dad once told me, he said, you know, Natalie, God knows you're not trying to disobey him. Mm-hmm. He knows that. Like he knows you're not trying to get off course. You're not trying to hurt him. You're not trying to not love him. Like he knows your heart. God is okay with that he's not up there like well Hector missed it they missed it like what are we gonna do now you know he is such a good God who even when we take detours is in the car with us with the map and is like okay well we're gonna go this way now and thankfully I'm a good God who knows how to get us back on track but just rest in this everybody listening God is so good we cannot screw this up we did not pick up the mantle we cannot drop the mantle Whatever God has placed inside of us is for a reason. And no man can close the door and no man can open the door. God is so strategic and so intentional in how he made us. And he loves us so much that he will literally step down from heaven and intervene in those places where we have just said, I'm done. And he carries us. Resting is not quitting. Resting is not quitting. We have to trust that when we get up from that nap, that God's appointed position for us is still going to be there for us. Resting is not quitting. And the enemy wants us so tired that we can't do more than one task a day. And so I just pray for all of us that we receive the gifting of grace from God. And if we have not known a gifted God who graces us with good gifts, I pray that we get to know him just Mm. just to sit in that. So Hector, I just speak, I release you from like, anything that is putting any shame or doubt or fear on you that is not our god our god is one of love and tenderness and kindness and good things and he doesn't change the world changes but he doesn't change like the shifting shadows so i just pray for all of us that we feel the good gift and good grace of god over us that he's dancing over us he's singing over us 
even in our deconstructing mess, he is right there trying to put those pieces back for us. So just rest. Like God is a God of rest. Um, and I pray we know him as that. My, my, uh, my friend, my dear friend, Carrie Willis, when, when I told him that I felt called into ministry, he told me that, um, being called into ministry, isn't really about being called into a position. It's about being called into deeper intimacy. And you, if it wasn't about being called into a position, if it was just about being called into deeper intimacy and to being obedient to serve him more, then the title doesn't matter. No. Yeah. Mm -mm. That's good. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Um, no, this is good. I think, I, uh, I think we, just need, we just need to give each other permission to wrestle. Like, I, I don't know where it became like wrong for people who love Jesus to ask questions. I mean, the, like, why, why isn't, why aren't we allowed to like wrestle with each other and it not be like, okay, I don't know. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I raised to say like, look, you can rip me a new one on every post. I don't care. I, I write these to provoke conversation, not because I'm saying that I'm the end all be all. Somebody just wrote on one of mine, like, have you ever been homeless before? You can't write that if you haven't been homeless before. And you're like, absolutely true i have never been homeless before tell me what that's like tell us i i'm not here to speak for anyone i'm here to share my experiences but man you're right being homeless that's hard and it probably doesn't feel like god is good in this moment so talk to us tell us like what that's like and that's the whole heart of, of god is just share like be real be honest and i don't know why it's so hard for us to sit with people in their pain and therefore, then we can't, we feel like we can't sit in our own. When God has said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, not more work to prove that you're worthy, but rest, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, even if you think about the early church, like, I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of church structures or, or leadership is, it can be conflict avoidant. And it's like, if there's a conflict, we are just going to apply grease to the squeakiest wheel. And then right. we say that, it, you know, we've applied grace, but they didn't apply grace. They applied grease. Oh, you know? yes. And they're two different things. Yes. On a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you grease the squeaky wheel, but in doing so, like the real problem didn't get addressed. No. Uh, and, but like, you think about, um, Oh, shoot. Paul, who did Paul tell it to go away? Mark? Barnabas. Bar What's the yeah, and he was, he was like, he's a, he's a, he's a real mama's boy and he's driving me nuts. <laughs> but by the, by the end of it, they, you know, he was cool with him, but they had to take a break. They had to, they had to go to different locations on the planet. Totally. Yeah. And they but, were still doing good godly work. They were just yeah. doing separate. He was just like, I can't have that mama's boy up in my business any longer. He has got to walk away. One and of them has got to go the other direction. Yes, and the church did grief 
we have to celebrate people when they go, even if it doesn't end well, even if there's a little bit of weirdness. One of the things I love about where I am right now is I have seen such healthy transition for the first time in my 42 years of ministry. Where I am now is so healthy. And I think we all have to stay a little bit long just to let God put us in an atmosphere like this to redeem all the ones that were bad before. But I love watching people, even when I know that there might be a little tension or a little bit of uncertainty, watching leaders celebrate the person going is so honoring. And look at the justice side of us could be like, well, no, we all need to know why. No, we don't. Paul and Barnabas didn't need to like give a big dissertation as to why they were splitting ways. And look who it made room for. It made room for Timothy. And sometimes we have to like go our separate ways to make room for other people and celebrate that God transitions his people. It's just hard. I mean, dude, Jesus like was at peace out. He's like, look, I'm going to go and make a better place for you. You guys handle it down here. If anybody had reason to quit, the disciples were probably like, what the heck? Like pull us through three years of miracle signs and wonders. And now you're leaving us down here to fend for ourselves. Like who does that? Right. So we have to be okay with the leaving and we have to be okay with the going and trusting that God has a good plan for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've spent the last five minutes kind of trying to go, why, why did I think of that podcast episode? I recently started listening to a podcast called the place we find ourselves. I really enjoyed it. So it's a very good uh, podcast, but I was listening to one on anxiety. And um, the host is just uh, Adam Young, I believe is the host. He's just going through like, here's what anxiety is. Here's what's actually happening. Here's what's happening in your brain. Here's why some of those things are happening. Um, And then he just talks about, he transitions into, you know, the church. We love the verse, like, do not be anxious about anything. And we say, Mm -hmm. we, we, we platform Paul's this guy. It was like, he was unafraid and he was unanxious and he was going through and he goes, um, but go read, go read Philippians 2, where he talks about the anxiousness of his heart for, for his people, like the anxiousness that he had. Like, Paul didn't write this out of, don't be anxious ever at all. Like, don't worry about anything. He, he's writing this out of a place of confidence in the Lord, but he's also writing from a place of acknowledgement of his own anxiety, his own anxious heart, his yeah. own worry. And so... um why I'm reminded of that is because as you're talking about being okay to wrestle and being okay to acknowledge and being okay to like the things that we like to hold it, not just arm's length, but like get that like a whole field away from me or another state or another part of the world. Like, I don't want to touch it. We have to be okay with acknowledgement of really, really hard things. Um, but in a, in a place, and he talks about this too, we have to have our people that like, I'm going to say something and, and it's the people, the circle of people that we don't have to say like, Hey, I don't really mean this. I'm just processing this. And like, if you could just like hold this, like that caveat, that disclaimer, like right. is just, it's a, it's blanketed like this space that's already understood. So you can say like, Hey, I'm wrestling with this hard thing. And I don't know what I even believe about it or like what my reaction to it. I just need to say it out loud. So that it's not stuck in my head or my heart. And, and so just that, yeah, like wrestling and acknowledgement and um, even to say that like, hey, there is this hard thing that happened, whether in our community, in a small circle, in a small group, whether it was abuse, harm, uh, potential for harm, 
um, whether it was the church down the street, uh, somebody who, who did leave because of a certain reason. And like, at least internally, churches have to be able to say, you know, on some level, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be the whole church, but like on some level within that, for lack of a better term, hierarchy, like someone has to say what happened here. And, and that it was wrong. We have and to- that it, And that, yes, absolutely. And that it was wrong. But then also, because if we just keep sweeping things under the rug, pretty, pretty soon, the rug's just got a bunch of dirt and crap piled under it. It's no longer touching the floor and serving its purpose. Like we have to acknowledge the things that like are in the room or that we've moved to storage and said, we're just going to leave that there. Because, and, and like, it's out of mind, it's out of matter. And so, yeah, right. that's- People stop being honest when they realize that they're not going to be heard or that things aren't mm. going to be dealt with. They just won't say it anymore and they'll just leave. And then we don't know why people aren't there anymore. Um, and it's because they feel like their voices won't be heard. That if they were honest, that they're, that's why I think every church needs an HR department. I think every church needs a counselor. I think every um, church needs a spiritual director. I think that if you don't have a solid HR that's following legitimate HR policies, then you're already silencing your people. Um, and I know a church of 20 might be like, well, we don't have the place for an HR. Well, then you better have somebody <laughs> who can help because that, that pastor needs protected. Everybody needs protected. Um, you know, I think too, I always use the analogy of like, I think that you have churches who won't even acknowledge that there's smoke when the whole building's on fire. And God has placed discerning people on that staff to help say, look, I see something, see something, say something. I think that pastors can't be afraid of hard things happening in their staff. And I, to your point, I think they don't want to talk about it because it might look like they're weak or they don't have control over their house. And it's like, no, you, God has given good people to the house who are discerning, who have different gifts of the spirit to help protect the sheep. And so if a staff person comes to you and says, this is happening, listen to them. Don't just push it under the rug. Listen to them and explore it. Um, and I think a lot of people feel silenced and they never come forward. And that's why we have 10, 20 years down the road, somebody saying I was sexually abused. Um, and that can't happen. That, that needs to stop. That should never happen again. Yeah. You know? mm. Mm. Yeah. So I'm a huge advocate for HRs and churches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how, I would like to see the numbers on how common that is. We have, um, we've been blessed to have HR. Um, and um, I think I used to think that HR was just sort of like a, a whatever job. I remember getting out of college and being like, maybe I could apply for an HR job. Praise the Lord that I didn't do that. I would no. have been, but my best, my best friend is in, is in HR and like, I am continuously reminded what a blessing HR is because I, I mean, man, she's it's real, but let's talk about, let, let's open up this can of worms just, just for a minute while we're on it. I mean, I think mental health is also something that we're not addressing in churches. Yeah. And since we're being so candid, I'll be honest with you. I am on a very nice dose of an anti-anxiety medicine because ministry is insane and mm -hmm. I should have probably been on it 10 years ago and just went on it this year and it is a gift from God counseling is a gift 
from God. Spiritual directors are gifts from God. And we cannot do this alone. And we have people in ministry trying to do all the things and they feel weak because they need a counselor or they need medication. And I feel like we just need to open up that Pandora's box and say, if you need antidepressants, anti-anxiety, if you need to be going to counseling and seeing spiritual directors, this is something that is not taboo. This does not disqualify you from ministry. If anything, it's you acknowledging the thing that's in you that needs help. And we all need a little help. And I feel like one of the ways we can help build a stronger church is by leaning in to the science, leaning in to the care and the different jobs that God has given people that aren't in the church to help us who are in the church. So just because we're in the church doesn't mean that we are the ones who should be fixing everyone. Sometimes we need Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, like to, to not look at a profession and say it's not valid until you're Christian and following Jesus, like to say that, like, no study and time and, you know, literally waking hours, you know, spent with something that like, I, I don't get up and go, oh, how's my brain functioning right now? Like, how, like, what's the science behind it? And, and, the little bits and parts and pieces and lab stethoscopes, you know, stethoscopes, not the right <laughs> lab equipment. And which is why I should not be, uh, you know, in a, a brain lab. Uh, but, but the reality is like to not look at those professions and go, Oh, they're not Christ followers. So they don't know anything. And to invalidate them just simply because they're not in the church is also part of that. I don't know how how like we <laughs> we took the conversation in a completely different direction but i i've loved this conversation and uh just so thankful for uh yeah just for your time and, and for the, the honesty and, and and i think you know the conversation of like acknowledging like that that deconstruction it's a, it's a real thing uh, and we can you know the internet wants to argue whether or not it's a valid thing but i think that we have have plainly laid out that it is a it is a valid thing there are reasons for it they don't all have to be the same um, but in the end you can acknowledge and welcome deconstruction while not um, forsaking Jesus which I think is a real fear and that's okay that it's a real fear uh, from the church and from leadership but to acknowledge that it, it, as leadership as well is a good thing and Natalie, thank you for your time today. We do have two more questions that we'd like to ask. Okay, go uh, for it. So our, our first question is, can you just share a time, especially like with, with your online work, um, just a, a time where you were ministering to someone and it went poorly? Um, because I think that's important. We, we do. We do think that it's important to, to share uh, those, those times where we just go, man, and I, I think you did share one, but but if there's another that comes to mind, yeah. um, or you just missed, you know, you know, the black boxes, um, they they just I I write them provocatively on a purpose to grab people, and if you don't read, <laughs> if you don't read the fine print that I write with the black box, um, you can offend people pretty quickly. I can offend people pretty quickly. I wrote one that said, it's okay if people don't like your journey, they weren't invited. <laughs> and I got like slammed by people who were like, well, what if people are just trying to help? And 
you know, you're online. So if people don't like what you write, like that's your fault. You're the one putting it out there. And you know, they were right. I mean, it's like you, they didn't read the fine print. The fine print was really about how as people in ministry, we don't need to let everyone in who thinks they have a say in what we do. And in ministry and especially online, because we do put ourselves out there, people think they have direct access to us and we do become easy targets because, well, you're here, you signed up for it. And it taught me two things. One is that I can't please everyone and there are going to be people who are going to read things that I write and they're not going to like me. And as ministry people, we're high people pleasers. And that has been a really hard thing for me to learn online is that I think my message is great. I think I'm funny. Um, I think that I'm doing a good job ministering. Um, but not everyone does. And so I do think we have to trust God with our message, um, be very confident in our message, in, in, in our delivery and unapologetic, but also tender to the fact that like, there are some things that we will write that will trigger people. And I can go in individually then and kind of help explain. So I try to do that. It's getting harder as the account grows. Um, but that one that I wrote really hurt people. Like, well, I, are you talking to me? Like people take, took it personal that I didn't want them in speaking into my life. And so I had to go through and do some damage control. Um, but it has taught me like a couple of, of lessons that I'm still working through as a, as a new creator. Um, and with my book coming out next June, kind of knowing what those triggers are to avoid because I don't want to hurt anyone in my book. So mm, yeah. that's good. <laughs> that's good. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. So our last question <laughs> Uh, because we we do we want to leave in a place of hope. Yes. Tell us a, tell us about a time uh, doing online ministry that it went well or or it impacted you in a way uh, with hope that the work that you're doing. Um, yeah, just seeing hope in it, seeing Jesus in it. I'm gonna be honest with you. In the last four months, I I think I've been hit with the hardest spiritual battles of my own life with just some health scares and things and I I really was thinking if this is what the cost of raise to stay is I don't know that I want to keep going if I'm honest uh when you write a book uh about this the enemy is angry like very angry and um five months it's been a long five months of waiting on biopsies and, and things like that and um I was getting discouraged um just thinking, you know, maybe this isn't worth it. I, I don't know that I signed up for all of this. And in the last few months, every day, I am getting a message in my raise to stay inbox of people telling me why they almost quit and why they've chosen to stay. And there are peppered throughout there, the hard stories of people getting hurt and abused and they don't know what to do. And I, I'm here for that too. But um, I've in just this morning, woke up to two people telling me that they feel like they, that God is telling them that they need to just trust him with their situation. And they're um, growing a, you know, online Bible study and they're starting to really see the beauty of why God had them stay. It wasn't an abusive situation or anything like that, just hard seasons. And every time I get a message like that, I know why I'm supposed to keep that account open. Um, even though everything in me is like, I'm good. <laughs> like this isn't worth it. Um, and, and those messages keep me going. The ones mm. that um, are just like, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for validating. Thank you for not diminishing. Um, because the enemy fights me every day on this message. So um, that's been my hope, has been that we're not alone, that we really are in it together to finish it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, bless you, Natalie. Thank you. Um, we, I mean, we really, we love the Big C Church and we love the local church and we love, I mean, we are very pro-church. And yeah. um, I mean, it, um, we take the, the idea of being ministers of reconciliation seriously. Yeah. And so it is our, our heart that, that the, these people who have been hurt and the people who have done the hurting, that they will hear from God and that they will, um, you know, know, know the true gospel and that they will find peace with one another and find peace with God and that the church will grow and flourish. Like, that's what we want. And um, in a time where, I mean, the, the stats just, it just, so many leaders are just done to have someone who is committed to saying, like, if, like, if you want to stay, we have resources for you. We have conversation for you. We have um, thoughts, like, I see that this is hard. I see you. I hear you. Like, it is needed yeah thank you well thanks for thanks for partnering i feel like we're all partnering in some way like even this podcast like pocket pulpit like yes like people are carrying the church in their pockets like we need to be giving them hope and not reasons to quit we already have enough reasons to quit we don't need more reasons to quit um you know and and we're all going to be around the throne of heaven together one day and it's going to be the most beautiful thing to see who has stayed when we know people's stories and we know why they're still around and it won't make sense till we get there, you know, but we have that, that we have that eternal hope, you know, that this is, this is for a reason. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. Well, I, I love this conversation. I'm so thankful for your time. Uh, just, just to get to even learn more about your ministry, Natalie, and the heart behind the approach and what, you know, that, that it's not just this idea of stay in hard places. Again, like we were talking, like suck it up, buttercup, and like, right. you know, just deal with it, like get over it, because this is what it is to follow Jesus, but rather to say, there's more. There's more, and, and the, the places that our hearts long for, our souls long for, like is possible, you know, here to to find places of hope and redemption and and restoration and and joy in the lord and joy in his work and so uh, yeah just i i I am very encouraged by this conversation just so thankful thanks guys all right well hey thanks again for for tuning in this week with with us just having a conversation with us um we've loved being a part of the pocket pulpit thing experiment uh conversation incubator um hey if uh if you just need a place to to process go and check out race to stay and their network and uh their community Uh, hit us up on on twitter if you need you need some of those connections the the links will be in the show notes and uh yeah, just continue, continue exploring with us. And, uh, 
we're so so excited to just continue what a what a journey this exploration has been i've said this almost every episode the last month but what a journey that this is to to continue to see the places that god is working that the spirit is moving and active and and is continuing and as we talked about that that harvest is wonderful workers are few but god is in the middle of it all amen and, uh, yeah we'll see you next time